Today's scripture passage is taken from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 1 through 15. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the gods trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Amen. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee, there you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled, the elders had and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Liz. I would invite you, to, if you have your copy of Scripture, would you join me in the Gospel of Matthew and take the, uh, the very end of that first Gospel. Uh, if you have a physical copy, which I doubt a tenth of you do, but maybe you have a digital copy. And if you don't have a, a digital copy, I'd like to invite you to different apps that are totally free where you can get the, the Bible for free. The ESV app called ESV.org. You can download that app. We'll get you the Bible for free. You can follow along. Or Olive Tree Bible Software produces an app for both Android and Apple versions. And you can also get the Bible for free. But I want you to be able to see with me what we're looking at and follow through what we just read, what you just heard read to you, because this is a crucial uh, foundational platform for Christianity, because Christianity rises and falls on the truthfulness of what you just heard. If the resurrection did not happen, we're wasting our time and we should go home. The Apostle Paul puts it like this. He says in his first letter to the church in Corinth, if there is no resurrection, then our preaching is in vain. Your faith is in vain. We are misrepresenting God. We are still in our sins. And we, meaning Christians, are of all people most to be pitied. That's the Apostle Paul's assessment on whether or not we have any ground to stand on. If there's no resurrection, the bottom of our faith falls out. And we are wasting our time and we're still in our sins, right? The, the most important thing to consider about what Jesus has accomplished in his death is whether or not sin, which keeps every human being away from the holy presence of God, is whether or not that's been taken care of. If our sins have not been atoned for, 
We're hopeless. We are still left in our sins, Paul says, and we preachers like me are lying about God and we are in deep trouble, is what he's saying. So this little story that concludes the gospel of Matthew is of critical importance. So that's why I would like for you to see it. I want you to have your eyes on this text as we follow through because what Matthew does is he presents two options You can believe this message and receive it by faith. And he gives you four witnesses to the truthfulness of the resurrection. The first portion of this, just these 15 verses, the first half or so, is four witnesses speaking to the truthfulness of the resurrection. The last section are two groups of witnesses who speak against the truthfulness of the resurrection. And so we have two options. When you come to this text, you got two choices. You can, by faith, and I say that by faith because you will never have enough evidence to prove to you that this is true apart from faith. There will never be enough decisive evidence that you can sit down and read the pros and cons and say, okay, this, this, this. All right, I'm a Christian. It doesn't happen that way. There has to be a change of heart. And, and Paul, uh, the, the question here that we're presented with is, do you believe this? And if so, go and tell. If this is true, then this should change your life and and go and tell, as we will see. Or if this is not true, then this is a lie. And that also needs to be proclaimed because this is a vicious lie. So we're left with those two choices. And and I want you, if you were listening, when when you ever listen to scripture, listen for repeated words Because there's one word that you heard four times, and it is the word behold. In the Greek, the word actually appears five times in this passage, but it's translated once as see. When the angel says see, it's the same word. But four times you heard behold. That that is a a clue to get our attention. So I want you to listen for that word as we kind of move through this. But here's, here's what I would like to ask you to do. There's something to see here. And we won't see it in our own eyes without the help of the Holy Spirit. So I would like to pray. So would you just join me in prayer? Uh, Father, there are wonders to behold in your word. And we need your help in order to see them. Because we are so blind in the deadness of our sin. We're so confused and pulled away from you by nature, and we need you and your spirit to help overcome that sinful nature and that spiritual deadness to which we are all uh, enslaved until you set us free, as we just sang. And so I pray, set us free this morning, everyone in this room, to consider the wonders that we see in this word. Open our eyes to these wonders. In Christ Jesus' name I pray, amen. So let's look at the witnesses first as we follow the the course of the text. The first 10 verses, we see witnesses to the truthfulness of the resurrection. There are four. We will see the the witness of the earth. We will see the witness of the angel. We'll see the witness of Jesus and then the witness of the women. And so first, the witness of the earth uh, might be a little unusual, but I I want you to see where I get this. I'm just going to read these first two verses again. Matthew 28, verses 1 and 2. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, that's Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake. Did you hear that word? Behold. There it is. There's something to see here. 
Behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone, and he sat on it. All right, so he's laying out the scene. He's given us the introduction of when this is happening. This is after the Sabbath. Sabbath is the seventh day in Jewish reckoning, which is Saturday for us. The day after the Sabbath would be Sunday. This is why Christians gather every Sunday for worship, is because this is the day that Jesus rose from the dead on. We, we are reminded of the truthfulness of the resurrection, if we'll hear it, every week. The reality of that truthfulness plays into even our pattern of weekly worship. And so after that, uh, Jesus, you remember, was crucified late Friday afternoon. Uh, he was on the cross until about three or so in the afternoon. There was three hours of darkness from noon until three. He then died. And then there was the uh, order by the Jews that the Sabbath is approaching. Can we break the legs of these guys so they're not still on the cross during the Sabbath? And so they went to Jesus and he was already dead. Uh, he was then buried. Joseph of Arimathea, who was one of the Pharisees, went and asked Pilate, can I please have the body of Jesus and bury him? Nicodemus helped him, we are told. And those two guys, went, prepared a, a, a burial site for Jesus and put a few spices on his body. But then we're now after that. And so on that Sunday morning, uh, Matthew's telling us two Marys came to the tomb uh, to see him. They came, it is interesting, they, he, Matthew says they came to see the tomb. Now, these ladies had followed the body of Jesus from the cross through with Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus and went with him to see where he was buried on that evening. And then they sat still for the Sabbath because that's the law. You have to have a day of rest. That is a message we all need to hear, especially in New England. Um, did anybody in New England know what the word rest even means? We don't. We are nonstop, 24 hours a day, go, go, go. And yet these ladies obeyed the Sabbath. They went and they rested. And then as soon as it was daybreak, as soon as dawn approached on Sunday morning, they were at the tomb. These ladies loved Jesus. And so they were there, we're told from one of the other gospels, to bring spices to anoint his decaying corpse. And so they were there first thing in the morning, wanting to see the tomb, which is Matthew's shorthand way of saying, what they wanted to do was in the tomb. They did not expect to see a risen Jesus. They were not looking for him to have arisen. They were they convinced he was dead and in the tomb. They brought spices. You don't bring spices to anoint a living person. You bring spices to anoint a dead body. And so this is what they were doing. And so when they came to the tomb, that's where Matthew picks up this picture. And the women are not the first witness. They're not the first ones to testify to the resurrection of Jesus. Somebody else does. In fact, it's, it's the earth. Where do I get that? It's the earthquake. Did you, did you behold there was a what? An earthquake is what we were told. Behold, there was a great earthquake. God sometimes has to shake the earth to get our attention. And so the earth itself is speaking. It, the earth itself is a witness to the truthfulness of the resurrection. Because sometimes we don't pay attention to anything unless the ground shakes beneath us. And then we get totally out of our element and understand what is happening. Now, this has happened several times. And so this is, this is the witness of the very earth. Because the moment that Jesus died, there was an earthquake. We are told, if you have your physical copy, it's just over in the next chapter, the previous chapter, verse, uh, chapter 27, we are told that at the moment Jesus chose to die, and he, he did choose to die, by the way, 
we are told in Scripture, he yielded his spirit. Uh, he, he chose the very moment to die. If you remember, Pilate was shocked when, when Joseph of Arimathea came and said, can I have the body of Jesus? He, his, Pilate's assumption was he's still alive. People hung on the cross for a, a, a day, couple of days and it's just been a few hours and Pilate's like, hey, centurion, can you verify that this guy's telling me the truth, that Jesus is actually dead? Sure. He dispatches somebody. He goes and says, yep, he's dead. Comes back, he's dead. Okay, all right, you can have the body. He was, he was shocked. Why? Because Jesus chose when he died. He, he gave up his spirit. He yielded. And we are told in chapter 27, when that happened, in verses 51 through 54 or so, there was an earthquake at that moment. And that, that attention-getting earthquake is what caused a centurion who was standing there watching Jesus die to say, surely this guy is the Son of God. Earthquakes get our attention. Earthquakes make headline news. And if you remember, when Jesus was even coming into Jerusalem on the Sunday for what we call Palm Sunday, when all of the children and the people were praising Jesus and saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And the Pharisees were like, hey, Jesus, they are praising you and this is wrong. Can you shut these people up? And Jesus said, if they're quiet, the what? The rocks will cry out. The very earth itself will give praise. So my question to us, will we let the witness of the earth speak to us this morning. This is the first witness to the resurrection. It's the ground shaking. It is the earth itself proclaiming that God the Father has done something miraculous. So that's the first witness that Matthew presents us is the, the shaking of the earth. The second witness is the angel, verses two to seven. Let me just read that again. I'll start just two to four. Behold, you heard that word, right? Behold, there was an earthquake. For an angel of the Lord had descended from heaven and he came and he rolled back the tomb and he sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. So we have an angel appearing. This angel is the second witness. And he first, we, Matthew describes his appearance. He's incredible to see. His appearance is like lightning, and lightning crackles with electricity. And it was reminded the other day, lightning will scare the pants off of you even when you expect it, right? When you're in the middle of a storm and you, you know it's possible for lightning to happen and yet, bam, something happens. I wish I could smack like lightning. It, it, it will make you jump. And here, this angel is described as one appearing like lightning. His clothes are as white as snow, and his power is incredible. And what do we see? All of the soldiers of this guard became like dead men. It, the, the, the men who were sent to guard the dead at the point of his resurrection suddenly became like the dead when the dead came to life. And we don't know exactly how many soldiers there were here. Uh, there is some debate. Um, it could be at least two for sure, at least two, maybe four. In Acts chapter 12, we see a squad of four soldiers assigned to guard Peter when he was in prison. But also it might be as many as eight because the smallest unit in the Roman army is comprised of eight soldiers and two attendants. So it's somewhere between two and eight soldiers. 
Now they became like dead men. So this angel, why did he come? He comes to remove the stone and to report what happened inside. That's his purpose, to report and to remove. So he comes, we see, to remove the stone. That's what his purpose is. He comes, he rolls back the stone. He's not letting Jesus out. He's letting the women in because there has been no human eyewitnesses to what happened inside that tomb. It's been sealed. There has been a stone that has covered the the opening to that tomb. And so no one, no human being saw what happened inside. And so the angel has now come to roll back the stone. We know this because he sat down on it. What do you do at the end of a day's work? You relax, you sit down. When the job is done, you can have a seat. The angel's job was partly done. He had rolled back the stone so that those who were were about to come could see inside and he sits on the stone because he's waiting for the next part of his mission, which is to report. He's waiting for the women to to arrive. And so he's getting mad. Can you imagine sitting and seeing an angel sort of kick back on top of a stone? Um, And by the way, remember, uh, the, the soldiers are lying over like dead men. And we wonder, what, what in the world does that mean? Uh, are they paralyzed with fear, right? Dead people don't move. Uh, dead people are also very pale. Uh, so they are immobile and, and white with fear as they see this angel. So get that picture. They, they're, they're there, they're alive still, but paralyzed with fear. Absolutely cannot move. And then the angel speaks. And here's what he says in verses 5 to 7. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen as he said. So come, see the place where he lay, and then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, is that word again? Right, he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. See, I've told you. And that's the other occurrence of that same word translated see here. But he's, behold, I told you. So this is what the angel says. First thing he says is, don't be afraid. Almost universally in scripture, when an angel appears, that's the first words out of their mouth because they are such magnificent beings. Everyone, every human that is, who stands in the presence of angels are struck silent with fear in the presence of angels. And so almost everywhere in scripture, it is a... Don't be afraid. I have not come to hurt you. I am here to help you. And he says, I know what you're looking for. I know you're looking for Jesus. Do you know what you're looking for? Do you know what it is you're seeking? Every one of us in this room is wired to seek fulfillment. Every one of us, we, all of us seek happiness We are seeking to be content. We are seeking peace in our souls. And there are 10,000 lies that would tell you to find it is in any place other than Jesus. This, This is the answer to what you're looking for. It is Jesus. Whether you know it or not, I know who created you and I know where you can find the purpose and fulfillment that he created you to enjoy and it is in him. So part of the reason we're here today, for those of you who are not yet convinced about Jesus, and you're welcome here, I want to say to you, he's the one that you're looking for. This angel said, I know what women, I know what you're looking for, and he's not here. He's not in this tomb. 
you're looking for him in the wrong place. He's not dead anymore. They didn't expect him to be alive. They thought his body was going to be in the tomb. That's why they're looking for him there. And the angel says, he's, he's on the move. He, he's, in, he's moving around. He's not here anymore. He is not here. He has risen. And this particular phrase is in the passive voice. If you learned anything in 7th and 8th grade English, passive voice means someone else does the acting. Jesus did not raise himself from the dead. God the Father raised him because this, this says he was raised. He has been risen is another way to translate this phrase, which points to the activity of God. God raised Jesus, not himself. Jesus didn't pass out. He didn't you know, have a nap in a nice cool tomb and wake up feeling refreshed after having been butchered and slaughtered and, and crucified. He was raised from the dead. And so here we have this pointer to this angel saying, he is not here in this tomb. He is risen just as he said. Which is, brings us to the next point. Why should these women believe this angel? It, you need to test, right? There, there are evil spirits in this world just as there are righteous spirits. There are heavenly angels and there are fallen angels in this world who can influence your thinking. We need to be discerning about mystical experiences. And so the question is, why should they believe what this angel is saying? And the angel answers an, offers an answer, and he says, he's risen. How do you know this? Because that's what he said. He is risen just as he said, meaning Jesus predicted his resurrection. And he did on three occasions in three different places. Jesus predicted the day of his resurrection. The first place he did it was in Caesarea Philippi, which is far in the north of, of Israel. This is where the woman who had the issue of blood was healed. He said there, hey guys, to his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'm going to be beaten. I will suffer at the hands of the uh, Pharisees and the scribes, and I will, be, I will die, and I will rise again on the third day. He said that in Caesarea Philippi. When they moved further south into Galilee, he said it again. Guys, when we get to Jerusalem, I'm going to be killed, and I will rise again. And then at, at, on the way to Jerusalem, he was going to celebrate Passover, which was what? Wednesday this past week was, was, was Passover. And as he's going to celebrate Passover, he's warning his disciples, when I get there, this is what's going to happen. Now, it is um, it's not completely impossible to predict the day of your death, but it is fairly difficult to predict the day of your resurrection. And on three occasions, Jesus said, I will rise on the third day. If you want to go and look up the, the Matthew's recording of these events, it's in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, Matthew 17, verses 22 and 23, and then again in Matthew 20, just before he gets to Jerusalem, verses 17 and 18. So Jesus has predicted his resurrection on the third day. He said it three times. And the angel now offers confidence to these women saying, the reason you can believe he's resurrected is because he said it in advance. That's what God does so that you can discern the fakes from the real people of God. When word is given and it happens exactly as it has been told, that's from the Lord. When somebody comes to you and says, I have a word from the Lord, and it doesn't happen, it was not from the Lord. 
So we have to be discerning. And so we see here this, this prediction uh, is true. And, and what is amazing is even Jesus' enemies got wind of this. They knew his predictions. That's the reason the guard were at the tomb. So let's flip to the end of chapter 27 if you have a page version or scroll down to chapter 27 with me. Uh, verses 62 to 66, the last few verses of chapter 27, we get the clue. Even Jesus' enemies had heard of his prediction of rising again. And here's what we see. The chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate. Now this is on the Sabbath. So after having him crucified on Friday, you're supposed to rest on the Sabbath, but the Pharisees don't. The scribes and, and the chief priests and the Pharisees don't. They go to Pilate, and this is what they say. And Pilate, I can imagine, is like, I thought we were done with this. This, this guy died yesterday. Why are you here today talking to me about Jesus? Sir, there were 63, uh, meaning Pilate, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. They heard it. They knew it. And so, therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people that he has risen from the dead and the last fraud will be worse than the first. And so Pilate says, okay, I think just to get him out of his hair. Yeah, you got a guard. Go make it as secure as you can make it. Go seal the tomb. Sure. He grants them the guards. That's why the guards were there. It's because of Jesus' prediction of his own death. Now, maybe his own disciples had forgotten it. They didn't understand, but his enemies heard it. And now we here are on this third day, and this angel says, you can know he is actually risen because he predicted this. So it happened just as he said. And so the angel then invites these two women, come and see. He says to them, come, look, look inside. That's why I rolled the stone back. Look in the tomb and see that it's empty. And they, when they looked in, they would have seen the grave clothes. You, we know from the other gospel accounts that the linen shroud that Jesus had been wrapped in was left lying there. And the gospel of John tells us on a little retaining wall just between the, the alcove was the headpiece that Jesus had, wrapped, that had been wrapped around his head. And it was folded up, placed there. They would have seen all that. These souls, I mean, these women, as they look inside, would have seen everything inside just as Jesus left it when he left the tomb. And so the angel says, come and see, look inside, and then go and tell the disciples that he has been raised from the dead, and then behold, he, he, he will meet you in Galilee. He, you can see him there. And so go and tell. So my question, the second witness here is this angel who appears in incredible form, mighty and powerful, and he gives a witness. So behold, there was an earthquake testifying to the resurrection of Jesus. And behold, there was an angel who is now testifying to the resurrection of Jesus. See this piece of evidence. Hear these, this, these words. And let me ask you, what, what do these things say to you? What do these witnesses proclaim to you? Truth or lie? Now the third witness in verses 8 to 10. The women obey the angel, they look inside the tomb, they then go their way uh, to speak to the disciples, but they bump into someone on the way. Verses 8 to 10. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and they ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. 
And then Jesus said, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. So the third witness of the truthfulness of the resurrection of Jesus is Jesus himself. Because these women are going quickly. They are running to, filled with fear and joy. And you can imagine why. Fear of this incredible angel that they have just seen. And yet joy at this incredible news that has just been given. That Jesus really is alive. And so this is not a day to walk. This is a day to run. And they are running to tell the disciples what they have discovered. And they are obeying. And behold, something happens. Something to see here, citizens. Pay attention. Behold, Jesus bumps into them, meaning he intentionally goes to meet them. He steps into their way and he says, greetings. Now, can you put, your place, put yourself in the place of these two women and imagine what that would have been like? All right, don't read the Bible as some uh, untrue story. When you read the Bible, jump into it. So you're, you're filled with fear and joy. You're running to, to go tell the disciples what you just heard and suddenly some guy stands in front of you and he says, greetings. And these women have heard this voice 10,000 times. And what do they do? They do what all of us would do if Jesus was standing in front of you. They fell down on their faces before him and reached out to touch his feet, both of them, one foot for each woman. And can you, can you go there with me for just a minute? What would be happening? I, I wondered as I did this, I was praying, I thought, I wonder if they had smart watches on and if they got a heart rate, a high heart rate alert warning because your heart rate is now over 120 beats per second and it appears that you're in a state of inactivity. What would your soul be doing if you saw the risen Jesus? I guarantee you, your heart would be leaping out of your chest. And these women reach out and they do what we are all invited to do, which is worship him. We are worshiping him. And why should we worship this Jesus? And I, I want you to think about what he says. This is incredible because what does Jesus say? He says, ladies, I want you to go tell my brothers that I'm alive. It struck me. He did not say, go tell my servants. He did not say, go tell my minions. Or he did not say, go tell my guys. He said, go tell my brothers. And this word, brothers, is not used exclusively in Matthew of the 12 disciples only. It is used on, on a couple of occasions to refer to everyone who chooses to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior. Which means when you surrender your life to Jesus, he considers you part of his family. And so I want to give you an example of this. Matthew 12, 50. Here's Jesus standing before the crowd and he says... Who are my brothers and, and my mothers? Uh, by the way, when he said this, uh, he was preaching and Mary, and you know Jesus had four biological, half brothers, okay? He had four brothers. They were standing outside. This was early in his ministry. Jesus was preaching to the crowds and they came and they're like, Jesus, you're getting a little excited. 
um, this little Messiah stuff has gone a little too far. Um, you need to come home. So just calm down and come with us. And so the crowd's like, hey, Jesus, your mom's outside. She's standing in the lobby, and so are your brothers. And he says, who is my family? And here's his answer. Matthew 12, 50, whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus' own family did not believe in him. Even Mary, at this point, did not believe Jesus was the Messiah. In spite of everything she saw when he was a kid, she thought he was off his rocker. And so did his brothers. His own family thought he was nuts at this point. So, some of you have family members like that, right? Some of us have family members who think we're a little crazy for believing this. I totally understand that. I get it. It, it. There is an element of all of this that's incredibly miraculous and we can't explain it. And yet it is wonderful is what Jesus is saying. And he says, if you trust in me, I bring you into my family. I consider you mother and brother and sister. But let me go back to Matthew 12, 50. I want you to see this. Whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. What is the will of the father in heaven? If that's what you got to do in order to be a part of Jesus' family, what is it? Let me let Jesus answer that question for you. It is found in John 6, 40. Jesus says this. This is the will of my father. I hope you can see this. I want everybody to see this. This is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. If you're here today, and that's not yet you, that's the will of God for you, is to look to Jesus for eternal life. It is to look to Jesus to have your sins forgiven. God's will for you is to be a part of his family through faith in Jesus. That's God's will for every one of you listening to my voice. And today, I pray you will hear, as Steve prayed at the beginning, a compelling movement of God's spirit and say, I, I, I don't understand this, but I can accept it. There's a lot of things in life you don't understand. Right? There's a lot of things we don't get completely, and yet we live as though they're true. Here's one of those wonderful things. This is God's will for you. So Jesus says to these women, go tell my brothers. You want to be a part of the family of the Lord Jesus? It is possible. So Matthew puts forward this witness, Jesus himself, as presenting a, a living witness. He's resurrected. He speaks. He's warm to the touch. He is available to be handled. He was not a dream. He was not a spirit. They did not have a corporate hallucination. They touched his feet. The risen Lord is alive. And so that's the third witness. And then the fourth witness to the truthfulness of the resurrection are these two women. They went and told the disciples. They did exactly what they were told. They have now met him. They saw, they heard, they felt an earthquake as they were running to the tomb. They heard a mighty angel testify to the reality of the re resurrection. They looked into the tomb. They saw no body. They then left and bumped into Jesus. They touched his feet. And then they went and they told the disciples. And my question, will you believe them? Do you, will you believe these women? They're eyewitnesses. 
Will you believe an earthquake? Would you believe and put faith in, in the message of an angel? Would you put faith in a risen Jesus who speaks and can be touched and handled? And will you put your confidence in the words of these women? So those are the four evidences for the truthfulness of the resurrection. And what's the counterpoint? The last portion of the scripture. Witnesses that say this is all a lie. Let's consider those. I'm going to read verses 11 to 15 and then we'll, we'll, we'll conclude. While they were going, meaning the Marys, the two Marys, while they were going, behold, again, get your attention. Some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and took away his body while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And that story has been spread among the Jews to this very day. So while the women have now met Jesus and they're running and telling the disciples, some of the guard also go to tell somebody else. While the women are running to tell the friends of Jesus that he's alive, the soldiers are running to tell the enemies of Jesus that he is alive. Two different sides of this story. And so what will happen? What, what is amazing is it says some of the guard went to tell them, not all of them. And, and when they got there, they gathered the chief priests. Why? Because the chief priests were the ones who had appointed them in the first place. The chief priests are the ones who had wanted them to go to the guard. And so he, they gathered the chief priests and, and notice this. They tell them all that had taken place. Did you realize these soldiers were standing stock still, utterly terrified, watching everything? They heard the angel. They were privy to this conversation between the angel and these women and, and stood there paralyzed in terror until the angel left, until the women ran away. And then what do you do if you're a soldier and you just witnessed all this? I got to stick my head in this tomb. And they saw exactly the same empty tomb that these women had seen. And they tell the chief priests all of this. That's what the text says. They reported all that had taken place. The question is, what are you going to do with that information? Some of them are still there at the tomb. Others are talking to the chief priests. And they say, they just heard a disinterested testimony of at least two soldiers can, who can demonstrate. Every fact has to be verified by at least two people. And here's now two soldiers who are saying, he's He's actually, the tomb is empty. An angel came. We, we were there when it was sealed. This angel rolled away the tomb. We stood there like dead men, watched this whole terrifying scene unfold before us. And we stuck our heads and he's gone. It's like the, the dog ate my homework. I have no idea where it went. Don't know where Jesus went. I just know he was there. The tomb was, and then the angel came and is empty. And so they counseled together. They take an assembly of the elders, the chief priests, the Pharisees. They call a huddle. What are we going to do? And then what's ironic? The very story that they were afraid would get out is now on their lips being commanded to be told. And they're paying the advertising fee. They are paying to promote this story. While we were sleeping, the disciples came and stole away the body. What do discerning people, uh, what do you think when you hear that? 
Well, if you're truly sleeping, how do you know who took the body? If you're asleep, how do you know anything? And of course, soldiers sleeping on duty is a capital offense. And yet this money is sufficiently large enough that they agree to accept this lie and propagate it. And that's exactly what they do. And so that story has been told to this day. So the elders and the Pharisees have exactly the same information that the two Marys had, and they came to completely opposite conclusions. Folks, it's, becoming a believer in Jesus is not about evidence. It's about trust. It is about faith. You can have all of the evidence in the world and arrive at a completely different conclusion from someone who looks at the evidence and says, I believe. And that's the question for all of us today. Are we going to believe based upon these witnesses that we have seen, the earthquake, the angel, Jesus himself, and these two Marys, will we believe their testimony and their witness, or will we believe the witness of soldiers who we know were paid to lie, and elders and Pharisees who in the face of divine action in, in bringing a dead man back to life willingly chose not to believe it. See, it's not about evidence. It is about a willingness to submit to the truth of, of Christ. Will you do that? So here's the question. Which will you believe? What evidence do you find most compelling? An angel, an earthquake, Jesus, and two Marys, or religious leaders and soldiers? So is the resurrection of Jesus, A, the greatest lie that has ever been foisted on humanity, or B, the greatest miracle and the greatest act of grace that God the Father has ever given undeserving people? I say B, definitely B. I'm going with B. I'm betting my soul on B. I'm, I'm, I'm going to swing out into eternity on the belief Jesus actually rose from the dead. I'm staking my soul on the truthfulness of that. Jesus is not in the tomb. You won't find his bones. They are in heaven because he's alive. But I tell you what, if you're looking for him, you can find him. If you will just reach out by faith and say, can you just open my eyes? Can you just, if you're real, will you show me? I think of Andy Mills every time I think about that question. And Andy was struggling with all of this, asking the question, Lord, if, you, if you're real, you've got to show me because I don't see it. He will reveal himself to you. So pray that prayer. And let's pray together. Father God, thank you for giving us eyewitness testimony to incredible facts. Please give us the faith to believe. Give us hearts that can base our lives on this wonderful, incredible truth because this is just the beginning of the story. There's so much more of your will and your goodness that can be had for us. There's so much more sweetness in surrendering to a suffering Savior than we could ever imagine. And Lord Jesus, we look forward to the day that we can look you in the face eye to eye and see your eyebrows and I don't know if you have a beard or not, but you might. 
But Lord, I want to see your face. I want all of us to be able to behold your glory. So Father, grant faith to those who are, are weak in faith this morning. Grant repentance to people listening to my voice who, who don't even think sin is a sin. Grant repentance. Grant acceptance to those who need a family. Call those who are outside of your kingdom into your family. Let the words of Jesus go tell my brothers. And who are my brothers? Those who do the will of the Father. What is the will of the Father? That we look to Jesus for eternal life and salvation. Grant that to be real and to happen this very day. And Lord Jesus, I am reminded of your words when you said, whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. We come to you and we want to sing in great joy. Give us the joy that was present within those two Marys as they ran to share with the disciples. Let that joy be within your people this morning. And Lord, I know that it can be possible because with you, all things are possible. In Christ Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.